This is KMTT. Today, on Mondays, we have a shear of Harav Yemen Tavori, who this year will be examining different responses, Shalotu Chuvot, from the major ones from the 18th and 19th century. Harav Tavori. In our series of Shiurim about the Gdole Haposkim and Shutim of the 18th and 19th centuries, we discussed one of the foremost poskim of his generation, the Chatam Sofer. Today we will discuss Chuvos of his son, who is known as the Ketav Sofer. His full name, which, which is Harav Avraham Shmuel Binyamin Sofer, is not as well known as the title, the Ksav Sofer. He was born on Rosh Chodesh Adar, 1815, and in his youth, he generally learned with his father. There was another Rav under whom he studied, probably from the same family because his name was Rav Sofer. The Ksav Sofer got married in 1833, when he was 18 years old. At that time, the community of Pressburg gave him the title Moreno, which was somewhat unusual for someone so young. His father-in-law was a very wealthy person, and he undertook to support this young man, Rabbi Avram Shmuel Benjamin Sofer, for at least six years. During those years, he studied with great diligence, and he wrote a sefer on Gitten, which he called the Ketav Sofer. When I was a student in Yeshiva High School, we had a Rebbe, Rav Yitzhak Isaac Tendler, well-known and well-loved among his students. The Rabbi Tendler once asked us a question. In Gitten, you write the Get, and obviously, after you write the Get, you sign it. The Ksiva Saget is followed by Chasima Saget. He asked us, how could it be that there was a case where the Chasima came first in Gitten and only later came the Ksiva? How could that be? Among the other answers that he suggested, which were based on a type of Lambdas, he, he explained that the Chasam Sofer wrote a Sefer in Gitten before his son, the Ksav Sofer. So the Chasima came before the Ksiva. And it was fine. It was <laughs> considered very well accepted in the world of the yeshivas. So you see, the chasima came before the ksiva in Gitten. The chasam sofer died in Tov Kuf Tzadites, when where the ksav sofer was yet a young man. Just before the chasam sofer passed away, when he was quite ill, the community of Pressburg approached the Chassam Sofer and told him that, of course, they, they hoped and prayed that the Chassam Sofer would have a for Shlema, but he was weak in any case, and it would be a good idea to appoint someone to succeed him. And the Chassam Sofer appointed the Ksav Sofer as his successor. There were other st- sons who also were known as fine Tamiri Chachamim, they became Rabbanim 
most of them became Rabbanim in other Kehilot. But the, the Ksav Sofer was the one designated by his father to replace him. And the Ksav Sofer did so at a very young age. He was only 24 at the time. The edition that I'm using of the Ksav Sofer was printed by an organization called the Machon Lotzat Svarim Vechekyar Kitve Yad Hashem Achatam Sofer. An organization that basically was interested in the publication of the Svarim of the Chatam Sofer and by extension of his family. In the back of the second volume, there is a biography of the Chatam Sofer written by members of the family in which they explained that the Kasav Sofer was outstanding in four various areas. The first was he ruled the community of Pressburg. He was the Rav of Pressburg. Secondly, he had a big yeshiva. Apparently, there were 800 students in the yeshiva in Pressburg, and the Kasav Sofer actually began saying shiurim there when his father was still alive. The third area in which he was involved, is the one that we'll discuss more, that he wrote Chuvos, was asked questions from all over, and responded in the Chuvos that we have today. The fourth area, as a student, as a son of his father, he was a staunch opponent of the reform conservative movements and was a firm believer in keeping the Masorah the tradition. As we remember, the Chatam Sofer himself publicized that phrase, Chadash Asumana Torah, any change in Judaism was forbidden, and the Ketav Sofer continued his ways. The Ketav Sofer was a Rav of Pressburg until he passed away, but he passed away fairly young, at the age of 56, in 1871. The Svarim that we have include the Chutim, but there are also drashas, perushim al chumish, perushim hagada. But of course, we'll discuss the some of the tshuvas that have been printed on all the chalakim of Shulchan Aruch. The Sofer family was well known not only for the Chatzam Sofer and the Ksav Sofer, but it's a family that was known for generations as Gedolim. The Chassam Sofer, in his second marriage, married the daughter of Rebbe Kiva Eger. The, the Chassam Sofer was a child from the second marriage. The Chassam Sofer had no children from his first marriage. The, that means that we're beginning this family, in a sense, with Rebbe Kiva Eger, the father-in-law of the Chassam Sofer, the father of the Chassam Sofer, and from there we have many members, many generations of the Sofer family, including the Hassan Sofer, the Shevet Sofer, until our generation, a person whom I met personally, was Rebavram Sofer, the latest that I know of the Gdolim of the family, but there are others who have still since published Svarim also with the name Sofer. The Rebavram Sofer uh, was a Tamid uh, Chacham who published many volumes of the Me'iri. The yeshiva world had a, a, a kind of a story with Rabbi Avram Sofer because 
He was known as a Tamit Chacham who did publish Sfarim that are very important. He published new editions of the Me'iri, but he taught in the Jewish Theological Seminary in New York, which rendered him as a problematic personality in the Haredi world. But the point is that the Chassam Sofer's family did continue in the world of Lamdis for a number, number of generations until our time. We'll discuss some of the Chuvos today of the Arachayim volume, which is the first volume of Chuvos that's printed by this organization that I mentioned before, the Machon Lotzaat Svarim Vechekia Kitveyad Hashem Chatam Sofer. In Shuva Yud, the Chatam Sofer was asked by a Reb David Deitch, who was the Rav of Baiten in the community in the Medina called Prysen. And the question that he dis- wanted to discuss with him is why we don't we put on tefillin on Yom Tov Sheni? Since Yom Tov Sheni is a mitzvah, is, is a drabanan, the only reason we keep Yom Tov Sheni in Chutzar is because of Sveika Diyoma. And today, because of Menigav Aseinu Biyadeinu. So, mit, mitzvah of tefillin is a mitzvah daraisa. So how can we push off, as it were, the mitzvah of tefillin, which is the araisa, for the sake of Yom Tov Sheni, which is only the Rabbana? The Ksav Sofer began by explaining that he felt the question even more puzzling than the way it was posed to him. Because he had the whole discussion are you allowed to put on film on Shabbos and Yantif? We know that you don't have to put on film on Shabbos and Yantif. But are, are you allowed? If indeed you are allowed to put on film on Shabbos and Yantif, then the question is even stronger. Even if you say that it's Yantif, you can put on film. And since there is a din of the Torah that it's really not Yantif, it's only Drabanan that it's Yantif, why don't we say that you could put on film even if it would be Yantif? The Khatam Sofer, the Khatam Sofer goes on in a whole discussion if you should put on tefillin on Yom Tov, at least Yom Tov Sheni. And he said that he was very distressed by this question until one day he happened to come across a tshuva of the Rajbah. And since the tshuvas of the Rajbah were not well dis. dis- uh, disseminated at that time. It was difficult to buy a volume of Tshuva Sarajba. The Ksav Sofer quoted the entire Tshuva. And he, he wrote that if a person has Kavana to put on Tfil on, on Shabbos and Yantif, then there's a problem of Baltosif. Since on a Yom Tov Daraisa, there's a problem about Tosif. On days of Rabbanan, you shouldn't put it either. Because called the Tikkun Rabbanan, Kein Daraisa Tikkun. The way that Chachamim instituted their laws was parallel to the laws of the Torah. And since, on the, if Yom Tov of the Torah, Yom Tov Daraisa, you would not put it film, you should not do it on Yom Tov Sheni. And then he says, the Lo Asi Lezazdalibay. Because if you would put on fill on Yom Tov Sheni, we would be afraid that people would take Yom Tov Sheni lightly and not treat it 
in accordance with the laws that Rabbanan instituted. Thirdly, Puk Go see what the custom is. Now, generally, we know when a halacha is unclear, that statement is made. Let's go see what people do. We assume that people do the right thing. The Ksavsofer said he was very happy to see that this question had troubled the Rajbah as well. And the custom, even in the days of the Rajbah, was not to put on tefillin, as he testified, Puk I think if you study the Tshuva a little bit carefully with the Rajbah, all the, there, there's more than one explanation why don't you put on tefillin. In one hand, he says that we're afraid that people will be mezalzel in Yom Tov, Yom Tov Sheni, and therefore it'd be better not to put on film. That would seem to imply that there's no real reason not to put on film, but because it's a Shev said it's better to do it this way. Puk Madvar would imply that really I don't have a clear understanding of this halacha, why it should be this way or that way, but the custom of the community should be followed. The first reason that he said it's like a Daraisa and, and Yom Tov Daraisa, that would be more of a halachic explanation for the cause. It would seem to me that the uh, real uh, argument, why don't you put on film, is in- unclear even in the Rajbah himself. But the bottom line is that the Rajbah said you don't put on film. The Ketav Sofer continued with his discussion and said that I don't know, why don't you put on film Yom Tov Sheni, at least without a bracha? Let's remember the Gemara in Sukkah said that when on Shmini Atzeres, in Chutzlaretz, which is the suffix of the last day of Sukkot, or the first day, uh, or the only day of Shmini Atzeres. So the Gemara there discusses what should we do about Sukkah. Lulav, of course, you don't have to take, because you, don't, you only have to take Lulav Midaraisa on the first day. The rest of Sukkot is only a minig or a, a takana to the Rabbanan of, putting on, of taking a Lulav. But Sukkah, you have to sit in the Sukkah all the days. So you should not eat outside the Sukkah. You're mevatel a mitzvah. So how can you... What should you do when Shemini Atzeres? On one hand, it is Shemini Atzeres. On the other hand, it's the last day of Sukkah. So what do you do? And the Yomar Paskind, that... Hilchata, the halacha is Yisuvi Yasvinan Mevachilabravachinan, that you do sit in the Sukkot Shmini Atzeres, and you do not make a bracha. This Gemara is paskined by all Rishonim that on Shmini Atzeres a person should sit in the Sukkah without a bracha. The Hasidish custom became that you do not sit in the Sukkot Shmini Atzeres, or some sat in the Sukkah at night, but not in the morning, etc., all kinds of variations. So uh, it was very difficult to understand halachically how the Hasidic custom could go against the Gemara and Mishonim. In fact, uh, there is discussion about this by Rav Tzadok HaKohen. He wrote a whole uh, rather important Hasidic work to explain the custom of the of the Hasidim. Or Hashulchan has a discussion about this. Is there any heter not to sit in the Sukkah Shemini Atzeres? But the Gemara said that you do sit in the sukkah without a bracha. So the Ketav Sofer claimed that you see from here that as long as you don't make a bracha, people are not going to 
be mezalzel in Yom Tov. People are not going to say, well, it's, it's the last day of Sukkot. They're going to say it's Shemini Atzeres, but we sit in the Sukkah. The proof is that it's not really Sukkah, that we don't make a bracha. So why don't you take, uh, put on tefillin on the last day of Yantif without a bracha. The second day of Yantif, you would have to discuss about putting on tefillin and what's wrong with putting on tefillin and Is it the same as Yantif or not? The Hasidic custom is not to put on tefillin and So the second day of Yantif and Chutzaretz would not be the question. The question would really be the last day of Yantif. And the and the Ketav uh, Sofer said, you know, I really thought about this a lot, but at the end, I'll say, look, I have a tshuva sarajba. And therefore, I tried my best to explain a little bit the reason that people should not put on film. But the bottom line is, this is the custom of the people not to put on film. Of course, one could discuss the importance of putting on film every day. There's a big discussion among Achronim, is there a real halacha of putting on film every day? Because actually, you're supposed to wear tefillin all the time. The fact that we don't wear tefillin all the time is only because we're afraid that we're not going to maintain the proper attention, kavana, to the tefillin that when we wear them all day. Tefillin, there's an isra of hesachadas. So, we don't wear tefillin all day. Is there a real difference between not wearing tefillin all day and skipping a day of tefillin? Is there a real chiv to put on tefillin daily? Of course, the Ksav Sofer's discussion seems to be predicated upon the fact that there's a mitzvah to put on tefillin daily, which is, I said, a topic among Gachronim. However, what's interesting is that the Ragachavar, already in the 20th century, had asked and discussed this point. Why don't you put on tefillin Yom Tov Sheini? He came up with a brilliant explanation based upon a machlokas between Tosfos and the Ran and Sukkah. Tosfos says that has a discussion in Sukkah if a person makes a brach on a minik or doesn't make a brach on a minik. And Tosfos says, I'll prove to you that you make a brach on a minik because Yom Tov Sheni is a minik and we make brachas. The Rambam also says that Yom Tov Sheni is a minik. He calls it a minik. Based, of course, on the Gemara in, in Besa where the Gemara says we are supposed to be careful of minag abaseinu biyadeinu and keep Yom Tov Sheni. From here, Tosas inferred that Yom Tov Sheni is a minik, and a minik, you can make a bracha on a minik. There is another discussion about which brachas, which I won't go into right now. The Ran, there in Sukkah, says that there is no proof from Yom Tov Sheni about a minik, because Yom Tov Sheni is not a minik. Yom Tov Sheni is a din de Rabbanan. It's true the Gemara uses the phrase but it's not it's not a minik to keep yantav. It's a din rabbana to keep yantav because of So the Ragat said, you see from here that there would be a machlokas between Tosas and the Ran as to the nature of Yom Tav Sheni. According to the Ran, Yom Tav Sheni has Kedushas Hayom Durabanan. Midrabanan, a person has to keep Kedushas Hayom. Whereas according to Tosfus, it's only Nihuge Yom Tov. So he said it might be a difference about putting on tefillin. According to Tosfus, the question would be much stronger. Why don't you put on tefillin? It's only a minig to keep Yom Tov Sheini. That minig should not be uh, overcome. Should not overcome the idea of putting on tefillin every day. Whereas according to Ran, to the Ran, where there's Kedushas Hayom and Rabbanan, there you could understand much clearer why you would not put on tefillin. I've discussed this question many times in connection with 
uh, people from Chutzlaretz who are visiting Eretz Yisrael for Yom Tov. There is a major controversy among Polskim if they should keep one day, two days, a day and a half. So I always suggested that no matter what they do, they should put on Tzfil on Yom Tov Sheini. Because even in Chutzlaretz, it's not simple to understand why don't you put on Tzfil on Yom Tov Sheini. At least when you're in Eretz Yisrael, where the whole issue of Yom Tov Sheini is problematic, it seemed to me that a person should put on Tzfil. Another tshuva that I've discussed in, in a different context was the tshuva written to a rav in the Kloys of Frankfurt, the mine. In other words, the Ksav Sofer was sent as tshuva from Germany. And the question to a, a person whom he praised with great uh, compliments Kvod Chaviv Nafshi, Harabani Amuflag Batayra, etc., Harab Moshe Mainz. The question that he discussed was Is a Kohen allowed to do service for someone in our generation? The source of the discussion is a Mordechai in Maseches Gitten, which is quoted by the Ramah. The story there relates to a event which took place with Rabbeinu Tam. A certain Kohen served Rabbeinu Tam. And they asked Rabbeinu Tam, it says, How could you do that? And Rabbeinu Tam answered, When they're wearing the Bigdei Kuna, this law applies. But if they're not wearing the big tekuna, so this law does not apply. So they asked Rabbeinu Tam, then why is it that we give him an aliyah today? Kohanim received the first aliyah, we very often ask them to bench. Uh, why is it that we do that according to Rabbeinu Tam? There's no big tekuna today, so the kedusha should not apply. Rabbeinu Tam was silent, did not answer the question. Rabbeinu Petar came along and sort of defended Rabbeinu Tam by saying that a Kohen can be mochel. A Kohen can waive the privilege of Kuna and serve Rabbeinu Tam. The question was, since Mechila does help, the Gemara, the, the story of says so clearly in Rabbeinu Peter explaining Rabbeinu Tam. And this is codified in the Shulchan Aruch. So, this seems to be halacha in our time. But, could a Kohen you use another Kohen to be his Misharet, to, to do service for him? The Ksav Sofer had a very interesting argument. He said that when they asked Rabbeinu Tam, how are you allowed to have a Kohen serve you? They could have simply asked from the phrase in the Torah, Vikidashto, which is interpreted by the Gemara in Gitten. Rashi quotes it, Vikidashto, that you have to serve the, the Kohen first. The Kohen comes first. Why didn't they ask Rabbeinu Tam from a pasuk with a simple explanation, and instead they had to quote a source, Hamishtamish Bechoin Moal. 
And Kasab Sofer said, if you would have only said Vikidashto, you might have thought it doesn't apply from one Kohen to another. But since it says Hamishtamish Bechoin Moal, if it's Me'ila, a Kohen can't do Me'ila too, either. So therefore, even a Kohen could not use another Kohen. Rabbeinu Tam then goes on to discuss, I'm, I'm sorry, the Ksav Sofer goes on to discuss this entire di- halacha about a Kohen serving other people. And he came up with the following conclusion. He said that it, it's usher to use a Kohen, and that's a Dindaraisa. A Kohen cannot use another Kohen either. However, the Kohen could be Mochel, and to serve a Tamit Chacham would be considered a Zchus for the Kohen, and therefore he could do Mechila. This was the result of the discussion of Rabbeinu Tam. I have written already in a uh, journal published by uh, the Yeshiva, Yeshiva Taritzion. Rav Shechter has printed this and expanded upon this in his writings in the name of the Rav, that Rabbi Soloveitchik interpreted Rabbeinu Tam in a novel way. Rabbeinu Soloveitchik, Harav Soloveitchik, explained that there are two halachas in being a Kohen. One halacha is the physical fact that a person was born to a Kohen, his father is a Kohen, so then he's a Kohen. There's another halacha, that a son of a Kohen has the Kedusha of being a Kohen. But when he wears the big day Kohuna, then he becomes a Klishares. Let's remember that the laws of Kedusha's Kohuna, or how do you treat a Kohen, are codified in the Rambam, in Hilchos Klei HaMikdash. The Kohen is a Kli in the Mikdash, the same way that there's a Kaf and there's a Machta, various vessels used in the Beis HaMikdash. A Kohen is also a vessel used in the Beis HaMikdash. He's a Kli Shares. And therefore, he has to be treated with a certain amount of respect. However, this Halacha applies when he's wearing Bigatei Kohuna. If he's not wearing Bigatei Kuna, En Kedusha Samaleim. Therefore, today, we would have to understand the Easter to use a Kohen is based on the personality of a Kohen because he's born to his father, or is it because of the fact that he's a Klisharis? And here, Rav Salvechik pointed out a little differently than the, Chassam, the Ksav Sofer explained, that the source that they quoted is Hamishtamesh Bechoin Moal. There's Me'ila. So he pointed out very clearly Me'ila is only a din in Klishares. Me'ila is only a din in Kodesh. And therefore, the Easter to use a Kohen is only when he's wearing Big Daikuna. To call him up to the Torah, that has nothing to do with his being a Klishares. That's based on the fact that he's personally born to a father of Kohen. He's a Kohen. So that's the way he explained Rabbeinu Tam. According to Rav Soloveitchik, of course, there would be no problem in using or getting the services of a Kohen, Bizman Hazer, because ain Bigdeyam Aleim, ain Kedushasam Aleim, ain Kunasam Aleim. The last tshuva that I'll 
discuss today is also a very famous tshuva in the yeshiva world. And that's a discussion in Simon Kufyud Bey's about eating on Erev Yom Kippur. The question was asked whether a woman is required to eat on Erev Yom Kippur. There the issue would be, what is the mitzvah of eating Erev Yom Kippur? Let's assume there's a mitzvah da to eat Erev Yom Kippur. The Rambam in Hilchos Tzomak Ha'asar Shvisas Ha'asar and the Halachas of Shvisas Ha'asar, the laws of Yom Kippur, the Ram did not mention if there's a mitzvah to eat Erev Yom Kippur. However, most Rishonim, or many Rishonim, say clearly it's a mitzvah, Dorai Sadar HaShulchan has a novel interpretation of the Rambam where he says there is no mitzvah to eat Erev Yom Kippur. But let's assume that there is a mitzvah to eat Erev Yom Kippur. The Ram does intimate in Hilchas Nadarim that there's a mitzvah to eat Erev Yom Kippur. So, the Ksav Sofer discuss what is the nature of that mitzvah. Is it a mitzvah to eat Erev Yom Kippur because the Torah told me that on the ninth of Tishrei a person is supposed to eat. B'tishal ha-chodesh ba'erev The Torah said B'tisha ba-chodesh. It's not the ninth. Yom Kippur is the tenth. You somehow see there's a din of the ninth. And the Gemara has two interpretations of what it means on the ninth. One, one interpretation, it refers to Tosefet Yom Kippurim, to add to the Kedush of Yom Kippurim by beginning the fast early. Or does it mean the mitzvah of eating Erev Yom Kippur? Now, if there is a mitzvah to eat Erev Yom Kippur, is it because the Torah said you have to eat Erev Yom Kippur? The ninth. Or is it because of the fact that you're going to fast Yom Kippur, the Torah told you to prepare for the fast by eating on the ninth? Some say that eating on the ninth makes it harder to fast on the tenth. Most people think the opposite, that eating on the ninth makes it easier to fast on the tenth. Rabbi Aaron Khan, the Rosh Kolel of the one of the Kolem of Yeshiva University, has a long discussion about this in a journal printed by Yeshiva University regarding the mitzvah of eating Erev Yom Kippur. This is all contained in the basic chakira of the Ksav Sofer, if women are included in this mitzvah. If you say that it's a preparation for Yom Kippur, so then women would be obligated. If you would say it's the ninth, there's a mitzvah to eat on the ninth per se, then women would not be obligated. It would be a mitzvah sasei, shazman grama. Of course, the question could be asked in, the, in an opposite vein also, which the Ksav Sofer adds to the original question. A person who is sick and knows that he's not going to eat, not going to fast Yom Kippur, would he be required to eat on the ninth? If you say it's a preparation for Yom Kippur, then he would not be required. If you would say it's a mitzvah per se to eat on the ninth, then he would be required. The Ksav Sofer came up with this mimanavshach, uh, a woman who knows she's not going to eat, she's not going to fast on Yom Kippur, would not be obligated to eat on the ninth because if it's a mitzvah on the ninth then she's potter because she's a woman. If it's a mitzvah preparation for Yom Kippur, she'd be potter because she's not going to fast. This uh, point of the Ksav Sofer is well known in the Shiva world. And as I said before, Rav Khan wrote a very long article to explain all the various issues of this mitzvah of eating Erev Yom Kippur.